Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 227 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And our episode today is a review of the Russia sanctions and export controls. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Um, it's been a, a really uh, rough two weeks uh, watching the uh, horrible situation in the Ukraine. Um, and uh, I don't want to in any way... Uh, ignore the just tragic circumstance, but uh, in terms of sanctions and export controls, there are a lot of difficult uh, compliance issues that have come up. It's a fast-moving uh, issue, and uh, so I wanted to make sure we address those uh, today. But uh, our heartfelt um, wishes for health and safety of uh, the Ukrainian people uh, we wish them uh, the best of luck in a very, very difficult situation. So let's go, uh, let's talk about sanctions compliance. We've been obviously uh, dealing with a lot of issues here related to that. A lot of clients, a lot of uh, colleagues uh, talking about how to uh, comply with these sort of vast uh, sanctions that have been quickly un unleashed uh, by not only the United States, but by the allies and partners. Notice the terminology, allies and partners. Um, and, uh, you know, close to uh, in the 30s in terms of countries that are uh, following these uh, sanctions. So um, Rather than go through this in a chronological order, uh, I do want to just sort of uh, maybe hit some of the highlights uh, to get to where we are today. In general, a couple of comments. One, the sanctions uh, exclusion of uh, energy-related transactions is a big, significant loophole. Uh, I know that there's political pressure to close that loophole, but uh, remember that it, when talking about the, the sanctions, we do have a big sort of exclusion in the OFAC regulations uh, with regard to uh, energy-related type of transactions. And I'll highlight those as we go through some of the more specifics. Second is uh, there are some interesting export controls that are going to come out of the Department of Commerce which could have implications for the oil refinery business. And uh, there's only just a mention of this uh, with regard to um, future regulations that are going to come out. And so if you're in the oil and gas industry, watch those because it could affect software, could affect equipment. And I'll talk about that. Third, uh, we finally uh, got to the uh, SWIFT uh, exclusion of various banks. That uh, turned out to be announced last week, and uh, that's a pretty significant move. Uh, however, they did not include Gazprom Bank or Spurbank, which uh, are probably the two most significant banks in Russia. Nonetheless, uh, the banks that were included, which we'll talk about, uh, are pretty significant in terms of the SWIFT system. So we'll get to that in a little bit. So let's go back in time a little bit. And uh, before the sweeping sa sanctions were set up and announced, um, there were a series of sort of uh, incremental steps that occurred. 
Um, and I would start with February 22nd, and that was sort of the second set of sanctions after the initial sanctions, which were in response to sort of the annexation or the uh, recognition of the eastern uh, regions of Donbass uh, and uh, and uh, Donetsk, I'm sorry, and Luhansk uh, regions of Ukraine. That was sort of the first start of this, but it was clear that the government had set this up in stages um, and hoping to ratchet up the, the pressure. But the second set, which came out, and the reason I want to start with those is because that was the first uh, announcement where uh, we were blocking the United States in and in conjunction with allies was blocking VEB Bank, Veneshikom Bank, uh, Promiska, uh, PSB Bank, uh, including 42 subsidiaries, uh, but also Russians, Russia's sovereign debt and uh, name and started to name oligarchs. Uh, additional oligarchs uh, to the list of prohibited persons that were closely associated with uh, President Putin. Now, VEB Bank and PSB Bank are state-owned institutions that play important roles in Russia's financial system. And um, naming these two uh, was the start of going after some of the larger banking industries. But note that they also included all 42 subsidiaries and any any entities that are 50% or more owned by any of those subsidiaries would be included as well. Um, There also were wind-down periods that were included with that. And then uh, there were five vessels that were owned by PSB, the bank, which were designated. And we got into sovereign debt. And uh, sovereign debt we become bigger when we get to also going after foreign reserves. The additional uh, oligarch designations included um, Alexander Alexander Bortnikov's uh, son, uh, Denis Bortnikov, uh, director of the Federal Security Service, or the KGB. Uh, Then uh, Peter Fradkov, the chairman and CEO of PSB, uh, Vladimir Kirienko, the son of Sergei Kirienko, who is the first deputy chief of staff uh, to uh, President Putin. So that was kind of the first step, and I want to set that up because of the sovereign debt. But the broad sanctions that came out subsequently uh, and in response to the invasion uh, and the sort of massive in- invasion that occurred included OFAC and the Department of Commerce's Bureau of Industry and Security and a broad set of sanctions and export controls. So OFAC added 75 entities and 15 individuals from Russia and Belarus to the SDN list. Um, This included, again, all of the allies and partners who uh, worked in pretty much lockstep here in terms of this. Uh, the financial sanctions targeted Spurbank and VTB Bank and their subsidiaries for specific sanctions. They also, OFAC imposed, which is really interesting, a correspondent banking and payable through sanctions against Spurbank and its 25 subsidiaries. Notice it's only against Spurbank and its 25 subsidiaries, but Spurbank is the largest bank in Russia. And Spurbank was basically is being blocked from engaging in U.S. dollar transactions. 
So any bank, any United States person uh, bank or U.S. bank uh, is, uh, is not able to set up correspondent banking transactions where they deal directly with uh, Spurbank, uh, and they'll be blocked from engaging in United States dollar transactions. With respect to VTB Bank, that's Russia's second largest bank, OFAC imposed full blocking sanctions against VTB and 20 subsidiaries. And three other significant Russian financial institutions, which also come up in the SWIFT uh, announcement this week. What that was Bank Otkitre, Savakom Bank, and Novakom Bank, and 34 subsidiaries. Now, OFAC has issued directives, and these are new directives under the harmful Russia's harmful activity sanctions, which are different from the Russia and Ukraine uh, sanctions, which were implemented as part of the response in 2014 to the uh, annexation of Crimea. And there's a new directive, too, which uh, sets forth the restrictions against Spurbank and VTB Bank, uh, and uh, U.S. financial institutions are prohibited from opening or maintaining a correspondent account or payable through account for beyond on behalf of any foreign financial institution subject to the prohibitions of this directive. Uh, and that includes, obviously, Spurbank and its subsidiaries are designated entities. Note again there that uh, VTB has a full blocking restriction uh, but is not named uh, under the specific uh, uh, correspondent account or pay- payable through account. OFAC also issued new debt and equity restrictions on 13 uh, Russian entities. So now we get into the definition of new debt, new equity, which was uh, developed in the Ukraine sanctions in 2014. And this uh, restricts new debt transactions greater than 14 uh, days and new equity issued by 13 Russian state-owned enterprises, Spurbank, Alpha Bank, Credit Bank of Moscow, Gazprom Bank, Russian Agriculture Bank, Gazprom, Gazprom Neft, Transneft, Rostocom, telephone company, Rosshydro, Al Rosa, Sovacom Float, and Russian Railways. OFAC's Directive 3 set forth the specific debt and equity restrictions, and uh, U.S. persons are prohibited from engaging in transactions with the above-listed entities where new debt is longer than 14 days maturity and new equity uh, issued after March 26, 2022. So new debt of longer than 14 days. Now remember, if there are existing contracts with payable terms, you're probably going to be okay in terms of uh, an existing contract that may extend beyond March 26, 2022. So please uh, contact us, though. Uh, New equity is uh, issued 30 days. Uh, uh, There's a new uh, equity restriction on any additional entities that are designated, uh, and that'll be 30 days from the date of designation. Uh, Additional oligarch sanctions were issued against uh, a number of individuals. Uh, uh, Igor Sechin uh, and his son Ivan are back on the list uh, and uh, uh, some other individuals. Interestingly, we also had Belarus sanctions for Belarus's role in support of the Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And uh, 24 Belarusian individuals and entities, including Belarus's military and financial 
entities, and they include two new significant Belarusian uh, state-owned banks, nine defense firms, and seven regime-connected officials and elites. number of general license were issued as well, General License 5, which authorized activities by certain international organizations and entities, uh, General License 6, uh, the standard agricultural commodities, medicine, medical devices, replacement co- components or software updates, or anything related to the COVID-19 pandemic. General License uh, 7 authorized overflight payments but and emergency landings and air ambulance services, but We'll get to uh, the prohibition on uh, flights. Uh, General License 8 is the real critical one here with regard to an exemption from financial transaction prohibitions related to energy. And the term related to energy, I'm not going to read it. It's very broad. And it's, it authorizes a whole lot of, uh, I mean, frankly, the energy sector is almost basically exempt completely from these uh, sanctions. And that's a big loophole. It's a big hole and it's a big part of the Russian economy. There's obviously a lot of pressure now politically to close that loophole. And we'll see what happens in the next uh, few weeks. And then there are... Uh, transactions for uh, divestment of debt and equity uh, that is um, basically allowed up till May 25th, 2022. There are also other uh, provisions with regard to um, winding down derivative contracts, uh, winding down transactions with several of the banks uh, into May, May 25th, 26th, respectively. Um, And... uh, rejection of transactions um, and the authorization of rejection rather than blocking. Um, There also were two general licenses under the Belarus sanctions program, which authorizes U.S. government business and, again, international organizations like Red Cross and other things like that. Now, importantly, we've gotten, and this I think is a real significant issue and is going to turn into a significant issue, Uh, even more so in the future, and that's the BIS export controls. Uh, The Department of Commerce's uh, BIS, the Bureau of Industry and Security, restricted exports of dual-use items to Russian military end-users, including the Russian Ministry of Defense. Now, the new restrictions bar nearly all U.S. items and items produced in foreign countries that use certain U.S. origin software, technology, or equipment. Uh, and BIS adopted Russia-focused restrictions here to bar the import of technological goods that are critical to its economy, including sensitive technology that can be used by the Russian defense sector. These restrictions apply to technologies produced in the U.S. and products produced in foreign countries that use U.S. origin software, technology, or equipment, including semiconductors, telecommunication, encryption security, lasers, sensors, navigation, avionics, and maritime technologies. To implement this, these policies, BIS set less license requirements with a policy of denial. So on the entity list now, policy of denial on all export control classifications in the categories 3 to 9 of the commerce control list, 58 of which were not previously controlled to Russia. BIS also added 49 Russian military end-users to the entity list. 
In another unprecedented action, BIS created two new foreign direct product rules for all of Russia, including a more restrictive use of license exceptions. And the, the, the beginning dates or cutoff dates are March 24th and February 24th, respectively, for these two new rules. Uh, rules. And BIS, uh, this, I think, is going to turn into uh, a major problem. Uh, and I think what uh, BIS is employing is uh, strategies that they use to sort of uh, strangle Wowie, uh, the Chinese telecom company. Now, those were the sweeping sanctions that got implemented, but then uh, there were more increases in terms of uh, additional steps that were taken. Uh, first was against Russia's central bank and sovereign wealth funds. The next, uh, so the OFAC issued new sanctions to prohibit then U.S. persons from engaging the central bank of Russia the National Wealth Fund of Russia, and the Ministry of Finance. Now, the Ministry of Finance restriction uh, basically, as issued, prohibited even payment of taxes by U.S. persons or U.S. businesses within Russia. Uh, That was ultimately, in response to that problem, there was a general license issued to allow those payments to continue. So, in effect, though, the new sanctions freeze all central bank assets held in the United States. And that's important because there's the access to foreign reserves like dollars. Uh, uh, suppose, supposedly, uh, Putin has access to $683 million in, uh, or billion dollars in foreign reserves, and uh, uh, not just dollars, but euros as well. Um, but this would freeze uh, his assets or the ability of Russia to get access to uh, these assets. So that was a, a major uh, action. Um, but then uh, OFAC sanctioned Russia's sovereign wealth fund, the Russian Direct Investment Fund, and its CEO, uh, Kirilly uh, Dmitriev, uh, a known close friend of President Putin. Uh, Putin. And at the end of la- the, the past week, the week before, OFAC sanctioned President Putin himself and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. And all of these actions, again, were mirrored by uh, European allies and partners. Um, and it was designed to sort of strangle uh, Russia's ability to get access to foreign reserves. Uh, and these are thought of as pretty significant uh, actions. They also uh, designated three entities responsible for managing Russian's key, Russia's key sovereign wealth fund, uh, the Russian uh, Direct Investment Fund, and its management company. Um, in addition to that, um, and the naming of certain individuals uh, uh, with that, it came out over last weekend, that was February Saturday, February 26th, that there were going to be uh, that Europe was going to take actions to uh, remove uh, various entities from the SWIFT system, and we'll get to that in in just a minute. Um, On the U.S. side, uh, we also saw uh, the Department of Justice announced a new task force known as uh, KleptoCapture, which will seek to capture Russian oligarch assets as another means to increase the financial strain on Russia. And the task force is going to consist of an interagency law enforcement uh, organization dedicated to enforcing sanctions, export restrictions, and other economic measures. The Department of Justice put out a statement um, 
indicating that they uh, did plan to um, uh, vigorously or aggressively enforce the sanctions. That's a big statement, and it means that uh, you know compliance is even more important because usually with a new program, they'll give time to the business and have wind-down periods uh, for businesses to uh, comply. Uh, and rarely, you know, you don't see a lot of uh, aggressive criminal enforcement in the beginning. Um, and uh, what they're saying here is that, that this is actually going to be different and that the Justice Department's going to take a different view of this. Now, uh, we do get then ultimately this past week, we had um, the Western countries and EU agree to remove seven Russian banks from SWIFT. And SWIFT is the financial messaging infrastructure that is like the blood system uh, for the global financial system. But they kept access of two other key banks, um, and that was uh, Spurbank and Gazprom, uh, Gazprom Bank, which are both key banks in Russia. Uh, the decision to delist some banks, but not all, represented sort of a compromise. A number of countries, including Germany, have argued that it's important to make sure banks remain on SWIFT to help Europe pay for essential energy imports from Russia. So, uh, But nonetheless, this was uh, thought of as a pretty significant move because uh, rarely is, have sanctions ever extended to uh, blocking uh, a bank or financial institution's access to the SWIFT system for purposes of uh, wire transfers and uh, other uh, transactions that need to occur uh, among banks. And it com complicates trade, foreign investment, remittances, and the central bank and central bank's management of the economy. But uh, the exclusion of Spurbank and Gazprom Bank uh, showed that there was uh, not let's say, a full willingness to impose the most difficult um, and the most restrictive measures against those two important banks. So we'll have to see. I think there'll probably, will, um, uh, there'll probably be additional pressure. Uh, I know that Poland, for example, has pushed hard for the EU to delist all Russian banks. Um, and so Gazprom Bank has so far dodged these tough sanctions uh, and also dodged the transaction, uh, the sanctions that, for example, were put on VTB Bank, um, who was fully, which was fully blocked. So uh, the banks that are included and cut off from SWIFT are Bank Ultracrete, uh, uh, Novacom Bank, Promiske Bank, uh, Bank Rossia, Sovcom Bank, VEB Bank, and VTB Bank. So we'll see uh, how that impacts. Um, and uh, then just recently we had, at the end of the week, OFAC issued more sanctions on Russian elites and their families, um, and they included additional uh, individuals who, uh, and this included coordinated actions by the EU, the UK, Canada, Japan, Korea, and Australia, uh, and full, blank, uh, full blocking sanctions were put on addition, additional individuals, uh, including Dimitri, Dimitri Peskov, uh, the press secretary who you may have seen on TV. Uh, and so the idea uh, was um, there basically an additional 26 uh, individuals, seven Russian entities. Um, the Department of State also sanctioned uh, 22 Russian defense firms, although I don't think there was much business 
going on with that. So that means uh, they were barred under ITAR regulations from the DTTC, but not many people, I think, were dealing with them anyway. Um, their general license 13 was issued, uh, and I would urge you to look at that if you have a Russian uh, business or some activity in business because it allows, in Russia, it allows payments of taxes, fees, or import duties, as well as the purchase or receipt of per- permits, licenses, registrations, or certifications. Um, and now that's extended only till June 24th, 2022, but I'm sure it'll get extended uh, as well. So that we um, that is something that has to be um, watched over too. There also was a new general license 14, which authorizes uh, any activities by an entity that has the sole function in a transaction of acting like as an intermediary in the operator of a clearing and settlement system with certain Russian financial institutions. So there was some concern with regard to how those will be, how those transactions uh, will occur. So um, the other interesting issue with regard to uh, export controls is to watch out for, uh, there was in a press release sort of just a paragraph that was indicating that there was some focus that's going to begin on export controls with regard to um, the uh, the refining oil refining business and the access to software and equipment. Uh, and we would urge you to uh, take a look at that and monitor that situation as well. If you're uh, in any way connected to that business anyway, so that's uh, where we are today. It's a sad situation. Uh, again, um, these are compliance issues, but uh, this is all in the context of a just broader humanitarian crisis Uh, And it's just a a really tragic situation, horrible situation to uh, to see and to watch on the news. Um, But nonetheless, let's uh, hope that things turn better and uh, hope and the and we all admire the sort of courage of the Ukrainian people um, and uh, their their just resilience. So. Uh, nonetheless, if any issues come up with regard to this, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, my, name, my email is mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com, 240-505-1992, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com, or 240-505-1992. We're getting a lot of questions and issues that come up with regard to the uh, sanctions issues. Uh, and I think it's going to get more complicated uh, before it ever sort of simplifies. So we'll, we'll, uh, we're here to support you. Anything that you need, please get in contact with us. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another episode. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. Verses rhyme and the very best of choruses to follow.
No 